our culture, our art, our music, newspapers, books, posters, our clothing, our homes, the way we walk and talk, the way our hair grows, the way we smoke dope and fucking eat and sleep is all one message, and the message is freedom. We are free mother country maniacs in charge of our own lives, and we are taking this freedom to the peoples of America, in the streets, in the ballrooms and teen clubs, in the front rooms watching TV, in their bedrooms playing with themselves or smoking secret dope, in their schools where we come and we talk to them and make our music in the weird gymnasiums. They love it. We represent the only possible contemporary lifestyle in America for its kids. And it should be known that these kids are ready. They're ready to move, but they don't know how. And all we do is show them that they can get away with it. Be free, goddammit, and forget all those old creeps is what we tell them. And they can see we mean it. The only influence we have the only thing that touches them is that we are for real. We are free. We are a bunch of flipped out, arrogant barbarians. And we don't give a damn for any cop or phony ass authority, control addict creep who wants to put us down. Welcome to another episode of Demystifying Gay Porn. My name is Ike Grande, and if you watch gay porn, I've definitely helped you get off. Uh, welcome to season three. Uh, as we get going, my first episode, very special guest, uh, photographer, writer, pornographer, director, Bruce La Bruce. How are you, sir? I'm very good, if a little tired. Okay. All right. <laughs> I know. It's been a, a crazy week. Uh, you just premiered uh, St. Narcisse in New, uh, New York City. Yep. It's based on your characters. It's based in the 1970s and it's got uh let's see uh, abuse religion uh twin incest, incest uh all that fun stuff is that just another Le- lesbians living in the woods lesbians living in the woods motorcycles um you know yeah monk skinny dipping monks skinny dipping monks uh monks playing volleyball is it just another day in your head <laughs> <laughs> pretty much yeah pretty much. First, I'd like to say I love the the title of your show, Demystifying Porn. Well, thank you. I think it really needs demystification. It's giving people that are in front of the camera kind of a, a different different look at them. You know, I, I'm, I'm sure we'll get into porn. So uh, because uh, I did make that transition to kind of making sexually explicit art films to industry porn, and it was a total demystification process. But... Before we get to that, uh, yeah, St. Narcisse just opened at the Quad um, here in New York. It'll be opening at some cinemas um, subsequently in the subsequent weeks, like in Los Angeles and I think Chicago and Phoenix, and depending on you know how it does. But in terms of the film itself, I mean, it's the second film I've made in Quebec, um, which is the French-speaking province of um, of Canada, and of course Montreal as we all know, is the porn capital of the mm. world right now. Really? Oh, my God. <laughs> and, uh, or one of them. Yeah. Uh, I mean, that's where Porno Hub is based. And, oh, yeah, I keep forgetting about that. And, uh, you know, that's a whole other story with the big lawsuit and everything. But, um, and I actually made a film in Montreal for men.com a couple of years ago, for which was a collaboration with the Tom of Finland um, called service station so um i've been into their corporate headquarters and it is very corporate yeah but um so um saint narcisse i made a film in 2013 in quebec called gerontophilia which was a movie not you know it's not porn it's like an independent um feature film and um it's about a another taboo intergenerational love it's about an 18 year old boy who has a sexual fetish for the elderly and um, so he gets a job in an old folks' home. But, um, you know, it was done with Quebec governmental financing, SODEC, and, um, and 
Quebec telefilm. I kind of couldn't get any financing in English Canada because they're much more, a little more conservative and, you know, you can't get a, a, away with as much that in Quebec. Quebec um, has a very legendary um, cinema tradition and it's more aligned with like European art house cinema. And so I was kind of, this film is my homage to Quebec's Quebecois cinema from the 70s. Um, and in those, in the 70s in Quebec, a lot of the films were about family secrets from the past, ghosts from the past, uh, coming back to haunt people. Uh, so they're kind of spooky, eerie kind of films. Um, including incest and or or like um, a rape within a family or you know all these kinds of oh, psychosexual yeah. things you know and um, yeah so we shot it in the style of a of a 70s porn film as well or sorry a 70s uh, Quebecois film um, but I'd see these films on TV as a kid on CBC CBC is like the Canadian Broadcasting Corporation that's sort of Canada's BBC you know and, or RPBS, right? Kind of like a... No, even more... Yeah. Uh, it would be more like akin to like a, a an NBC or CBS, like a, the biggest um, broadcasting platform okay. that isn't cable. And, um, you know, in the 70s, you would routinely see people uh, naked, uh, you know, full frontal mm -hmm. on, uh, on TV. Um, and so I, that's when I saw these Quebecois films when I was like, 12, 13 years old. <clears throat> and there's one with Genevieve Bujold, who is a famous Hollywood actress, but she's from Quebec. And, and she um, she was in an earthquake with Charlton Heston, for example. Okay. And, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and um, she was married to a Quebecois filmmaker named Paul Allman. And this one film she made for him called Act of the Heart I saw on TV as a kid. And it's... Uh, Donald Sutherland plays a priest who has sex with a girl from the country on the altar of the church and then she goes to the park douses herself with gasoline and sets herself on fire Jesus. at the end of the movie as the credits roll so when I saw this movie I was like what the hell you know can I swear yeah yeah go nuts what the fuck <laughs> is this all about what, what is this I, I thought is this porn is this like weird is it this psychosexual is this how adults like have sex is it is religion all about self abnegation and perversion and you know and guilt and so that that's kind of the inspiration for this film in a way um and uh and again uh you know i could be more free and and uh explore all sorts of uh, taboo subjects so all the all the characters were in your head yeah, it's complete. It's my original story idea, um, but I do. I'm very high, highly referential as a filmmaker. So there's a. I was also referencing uh, American movies from that uh, era. There's one called The Fox by Mark Wardell with Sandy Dennison. It's a lesbian movie about two lesbians living in the woods, and um, and a straight guy comes and uh, woodsman comes and sort of starts stays with him and sort of kind of splits them apart. And um, so I was referencing that and Robert Altman's film Images, which is about a doppelganger film about a woman who keeps seeing her double. And then De Palma's films from the 70s about incest, uh, Sisters, about Siamese twins, and uh, Obsession, which is kind of a father-daughter incest story. I have a question in regard to how you put together, well, how it works. Um, when you say you've created these characters, do you do you put them together? Like, does it all? Do you see the pig picture immediately, or is it something that, okay, well, um, these would be good characters. I can put them in this. I can put them in that. Like, it develops, or do you do you see the big picture almost immediately? Well, I started with the theme of twin cest. So, um, uh, and I was, of course, we're all aware that it's a porn genre, and um, which fascinates me. I've known twins growing up. You know, my best friend in university was a twin, and I knew they had a psychic connection, uh, identical twins, and um, and also a weird kind of sexual aspect to the relationship. And so, um, 
And then I was thinking that that would I would apply it to the Narcissus myth. So the film is kind of a contemporary updating of the Narcissus myth as well. So that was my basic structure. And then, like I said, then I combined it with the fox, like lesbians living in the woods, and other elements like um, seeing your double doppelganger, which came from images. And so it just kind of falls together. That's the way I, the writing process for me is very uh, uh, mysterious. Like it, it just, I keep think, I think of a lot of movies that for me are connected in some way and kind of mash them all up into uh, into one narrative. Uh, but the trick to that is to then make it your own, in your own style, in mm -hmm. your own voice, and and not just to copy, but to kind of integrate it all. So, yeah, that's my process. I mean, um, I did co-write it. I mean, it was my idea, and then I co-wrote it with a very well-known Quebecois or screenwriter named Martin Girard, who's like award-winning screenwriter in Canada and we spent a lot of time on the on the script developing it so it started the basic story was there in the beginning but it went through many many changes um over the past I, it we it took us like four or five years to actually uh, from starting to write it to getting it made locations it, the film is absolutely beautiful um uh I didn't get to see a gerontophilia yet but um, I had seen prior work before working on uh, L.A. Zombie with you. Um, and then I had seen... Hustler White, probably. Well, Hustler White, of course. Yeah. No skin off my ass. I saw, right. I saw a lot of them. Because I, I, the mistake I made uh, before working with you um, in L.A. in 2009, I should have read your books before <laughs> watching the movie. Because it's, it's, it's almost like, well, it gets into your head. You know, it's one thing is to visualize, but uh, and I love uh, the visual visualization. But your words. Well, if you want to, I mean, I have two books that are that uh, a lot of it is diaries and shooting diaries, and as well as like social commentary and stuff like that. But um, one is called the Relicton Pornographer, mm -hmm. and one is called Porno Diaries. I have both. Yeah, right, right, right. <laughs> I, and I actually, um, like I said to you when you walked in. I usually don't write questions down, but I, right. I was like, how often uh, can I have Bruce LaBruce sitting down across from me? And, but but um, if people, people who are in porn or interested in getting into porn, um, Porno Diaries is probably a, kind of instructive because it's, it's kind of like me as an outsider getting into porn for the first time. I started out making sexually explicit art films, I, is what I considered them. And I was actually in them in the early 90s, so... Um, no skin off my ass, super eight and a half. And I would perform sexually in the film. But we were so naive about, or I was so naive about what I was doing. Like, um, just at that time, it was there was no video, there was no digital, it was pre-internet. Yeah. So I didn't expect the film to be seen outside of uh, Toronto, like underground art spaces and punk bars. And, yeah, or and maybe, here we are. Or maybe in another, you know, <laughs> in San Francisco or something. And... Um, you know, it got on the 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 gay and lesbian film festival circuit was really got huge around the same time around the world. So um, it got on there, and then it went into my films went into international film festivals. So suddenly, this kind of very private um, private kind of documentation of mm -hmm. sex was, which I put in a narrative form, but like fictionalized form, um, was seen like. Uh, internationally and, and, and with big audiences and I was totally unprepared for it and it kind of and I was kind of surprised the way it changed people's perception of me as well like there, that I was kind of um, considered in certain circles kind of like you know déclassé or, or kind of like you know a pervert or, or whatever yeah and um, so you had I'd put up with all that kind of judgment or people think that if you're in porn you have no moral compass or you are sexually available all the time yeah. or, or whatever. You know. Well, um, in one of your, in, while I was reading it, um, in one of your articles, you had mentioned how people said you, you get that, you get that from people, but also people saying that you couldn't call yourself a pornographer. 
Yeah, because I was was kind of caught in between the art world and the porn world. So the art world would reject me because they thought my art was too pornographic. Because I shot also I shoot uh, I shot for porno mags for five years in New York. So like Honcho, Playguy, Mandate, Inches, and um. And over a space of five years, I probably did like 40 or 50 shoots, which isn't that many, but um, by, by industry standards, but it was quite a lot for me. And, um, and you know, that, uh, those photos I tried to make as artistic as possible, but the editor of the magazines would go, oh, no, this is too arty, you're going too far here, you know, in terms of concept, making it conceptual or, you know... Um, adding a kind of unusual element to it and then um and then on the flip side the porn world always thought my films were porn films are too art arty they're they're too much i work for porn producers companies who would always say to me accuse me of not being interested in the sex scenes at all that i was more interested in the story and making a narrative and a movie with characters and you know either humor or like making a political or social point or something. And um, so, yeah, and that persists even to this day. I mean, people want you to choose a side, mm. right? They want They're you to, comfortable yeah. <laughs> with either one or the other. Yeah, but not both. And yeah. still to this day, I think there's still a glass ceiling for pornographers, uh, you know, moving into more mainstream, the mainstream film industry or even the mainstream uh, art world, you know. When you were doing um, zines in in uh, Canada, uh, and did you transition to film because it was a different way to say something, or like how was that transition? Um, they really kind of happened at the same time because I my schizophrenia started way back from my not literal schizophrenia, but. Um, my metaphorical schizophrenia started way back when I I was in I went to university for film school and intended to be a critic and an academic, but I but I was you know required to take two years of um, production, which is when I studied photography and Super 8 filmmaking and um, and that I got the bug at that point for filmmaking, but I never thought I would become a filmmaker because it was too complicated and expensive, technical. And so um, I studied with a very famous uh, gay film critic named Robin Wood, and, um, who was a fav- favorite film critic of Scorsese and, and uh, Godard, or no, Truffaut and people like that. And um, so the, I got my sort of academic training and my cultural Marxist training there. And then simultaneously, I was downtown hanging out in the punk scene. And friends I had in the punk scene were making um, Super 8 films. And so um, for me, making the Super 8 films was the way that I finally sort of decided I was going to be a filmmaker because it was such an easy technology. Mm-hmm. Like, right? It's easy to pick up a, a Super 8 camera and, um, and, and make a, a simple movie. So uh, I started up at the same time as doing the fanzine JDs, which is a queer punk fanzine, a queer core fanzine, I was making these super eight uh, experimental films, which had pornographic content in them, as did JDs. So that was the genesis of um, my kind of porn career, if you want to call it that. And um, but also, it was very political. We were um, queer core was like a critique of mainstream punk and hardcore that was very sexist and misogynist and homophobic at the time so we were very in your face and using gay porn as a political statement sort of thing um saying to these straight punks like if you're if you're so radical you should be able to take like a dick up the ass right so (laughs) when um I was gonna, you pretty much answered a lot of the rest of that because I was thinking, you know, because you mentioned the reluctant pornographer. Um, and I was going to ask if you thought you were miscategorized, but misunderstood probably is um, better. Or? Well, reluctant because, as I said, it was a demystificatory process when <laughs> I started making. I started with what happened was Jurgen Burning produced my first two art 
porn art, uh, sexually explicit art films, and plus Hustler White, which wasn't as as explicit, but it had these extreme fetish scenes in it, the stump fucking and the, you know, this guy getting sliced up with a razor blade and all that stuff. And um, so those were, um, you know, uh, when I tried to make a more more independent films that weren't extreme and pornographic after that there was a lot of resistance in Canada anyway um, from you know funding agencies because I had this reputation right? they just thought everything I was going to make would, would be automatically pornographic mm-hmm. or extreme so um, so I did try to get an independent feature with a bigger budget made at that time and unsuccessfully and so Jürgen and I got had this reputation as being pornographers, even though at that time we didn't even really consider ourselves pornographers. And we said, "Fuck it," uh, you know. Jürgen said, "I'm going to op- open a porn company." So he op- he created the first porn company ever in Berlin, Katzo Film, and then I made a couple of films for them, and he directed films for them. And um, I mean, it's kind of twisted because. My, char- my character's name in Hustler White is Jürgen Anger. And then he started directing porns under that name, porn films under the name Jürgen Anger, because the character was half built, um, sort of based on him. And I made Skin Flick, my neo Nazi porn film uh, that was shot in London uh, for Katzo. And his partner, who was a kind of, um, shall we say, uh, uh, somewhat unpleasant fellow, he's the one that. On the set, he was, you know, yelling at me in front of the actors, like, "You don't give a shit about porn, and you, you don't give a shit about the actors, and you're, you're only trying to make, you know, your, this movie, this narrative art movie, and blah blah." blah. And, um, but anyway, um, yeah, and then Jurgen split with him and opened another porn company called Verst Film, and then that's who I directed uh, the Raspberry Right from, which is another. And you know, and we did two versions. So for the three films, for Skin Flick, No Skin Enough, uh, sorry, Skin Flick, uh, Raspberry Reich, and uh, L.A. Zombie, mm-hmm. we I made a softcore version and a hardcore version. So even the softcore versions were explicit, but shorter sex scenes that were more integrated into the narrative. And then the hardcore versions had full-on long sex scene you make visual a lot of taboo and sexual fetishes and stuff um before i get into some of them do you do you do them for do you do them for yourself or for a captive audience which ones um well okay so masturbating on mein Kampf. oh, oh that kind of thing like the provocative yeah. stream scenes well i do have this thing with myself which is maybe a bit juvenile but it's kind of like um, playing competing with myself and like trying to outdo myself every time right so with um, I mean my first two films were people were shocked especially because like No Skin Enough Medicine and Super Enough were playing at like the London Film Festival or the Toronto Film Festival the International Film Festivals like um, in Europe like um at, uh, at big A-list festivals, and I had ass fucking in it, you know, and and blowjobs, and um, in that context, it, they were considered quite um, shocking, and at that, especially at that time in the in the nineties, and um, so that was shocking. And then, but then with Hustler White, I took to the next took it to the next level with the stump fucking, which is kind of a notorious scene. When I the film premiered at Sundance, and like at least a third of the audience walked out during that scene and it became sort of a cult film because of that and other kind of extreme scenes in the movie and then yeah then with uh, the follow up uh, Skin Gang I was just like now what can I possibly do that would be more shocking than that so I have the scene of like a neo-Nazi skinhead jerking off on a copy of Mein Kampf and then which for me is an obvious you know Critique, or, or you know, uh, a, a kind of making a point about the the historical relationship between homosexuality and fascism, and you know, it's a, a visual metaphor for you know he, he, 
for him, is he defiling it or is he, you know, is it the ultimate? I mean, I had a, and then I did a similar scene in Raspberry White where there's a blow up poster of Che Guevara on the wall and this left wing radical is jerking off onto the, onto. And licking a gun, right? Well, licking a gun. Yeah. So yeah. that I put under gun fetish because that mm-hmm. I, I can see people into that stuff too. No. Quick aside, I consciously referenced. I made a movie for Dark Alley uh, called Trump and Dump, and it was it was porn, like full on porn. But uh, the main character uh, jerks off on the art of the deal. Oh, nice. and it was it was a full on reference. To oh, no, yeah. no, <laughs> and um, and Jurgen saw it, and he's like, and I'm like, yeah, <laughs> that's because because it. Cause, cause it uh, it played at the the Berlin Film Festival, I think, in 2017. Oh, nice. Yeah. At the Porn Festival. Yeah, at the yeah, Porn Festival. Yeah. Cool. Um, so there's that. Raspberry Reich, I, I put that. Auto zombie porn. Yeah, that, and that, that was another kind of um, trying to take it a step further. So I have the gut fucking scene in Auto. But Auto really has the tone more of a kind of sweet, kind of independent um, almost zomcom, mm-hmm. you know, before the whole zombie movement. It was before the new the new wave of. It wasn't like, before; it was at the very beginning. But it was okay. one, it was definitely one of the first zomcoms. Yeah, and now they're like. Yeah, you really, can't get away from zombie yeah. movies, <laughs> but zomcoms and especially yeah. zombie zombie comedies. Yeah, uh, LA Zombie, extraterrestrial. But then and- LA Zombie pretty much, I threw down the final gauntlet because I don't know if I could ever surpass L.A. Zombie in terms of, like, shock value. You know, it's about an alien zombie who goes around L.A. and finds dead bodies and fucks them back to life. So the ad line of the movie is, he came to fuck the dead back to life. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, um, you know, you were there, so you, under- you understand what a insane gorilla kind of shoot that was, and and how we managed to actually make it uh, as good as it is was. I, I've been trying to release the behind the scenes for the longest time. Oh, the, oh! We, I don't know how I feel about that. that well, that's basically why it's. Uh, uh, no, Jurgen was sure like, it's fine. "I'm sure it's fine. actually it's actually really well done." And <coughs> after reading your diary, yeah, I had no idea what you were going through. Oh, yeah, genuinely was because you know I, I literally they told me pick up a camera and just record everything. And I got in everyone's face, and I got in your face at one point. And I don't. There's. I always I, tell people. Did I this. yell at you? No, you gave me the finger. Oh. But I now I completely understand. But I was like, oh my god, he hates me. Because I hardly <laughs> ever yell. And um, but that was. I mean, you know, we didn't even have a first AD on that movie. Yeah. James and I did all that stuff well, together. I had the, Rob the, the wanted me to. Rod wanted me to do AD at yeah. first and then he threw me behind and said no you're gonna make a documentary i was like i can't do both right so yeah that, that was crazy and, and like even in the diaries i couldn't i hint at certain things that i can't really go into but you know that had to do with uh, our F makeup you know special effects oh, yeah. guy. <laughs> so yeah l- let's just say there was some challenges there with um <laughs> involving uh how can I put it? Um, I'm sure he wouldn't mind because he's he, he. I'm sure he doesn't even he, know. <laughs> he, he profusely apologized. Oh, he to did. Me. Okay. Uh, yeah. A couple of years later, he he was mortified by his behavior and and really kind of, um, you know, he he cleaned up and and. Well, that's good. Yeah. yeah. So I I bear no ill will to him, but um, but it did make things. I mean, he's a genius at what he does. Like his analog gore effects uh, old school art yeah so incredibly creative and fun and but it was it was a that was a big big challenge to to pull that um but that movie off shoot we shot it in seven straight days and we shot as you know all over la we went from you know malibu to like topanga canyon to east to the la river to um pasadena Mm. to like south central um, you know, we yeah. were just all over the place. We were so ambitious. And the funny thing is, too, is <clears throat> I was in New York helping Rob secure certain locations. We didn't even use some of them <laughs> because we found better ones, and we just we kind of just took the scene. Like, we did. You, you <laughs> we shot in the in the fucking LA tunnel without yeah. without um, 
any permission. I mean, <laughs> yeah, we said we were, it was going to scout the, the just a quick scout, you know, <laughs> and, and, and you guys got the scene while it happened. Yeah. Um, yeah, that was, uh, I look back at it fondly. Yeah. It was, oh, me it too. was a I lot, do. it I was do. a lot of work, but it was, it was really, really cool. Yeah. And I think we were all like set up in LA for like three weeks. Yeah. Cause we shot it, but we were there post and uh, pre and post. Yeah. And there was that, you know, we rent, they rented that, uh, sort of, Headquarters yeah. where all the porn models were staying, and uh, where they came and went. Santino <laughs> Rice, Tony Ward, everybody was there. It was quite an experience. Santino Rice is on the behind the scenes and has some of the funniest ab lib. I bet, like it's it's so good. Um, I'll send you the link just to watch it. For, and then for you know, um, Eric Rhodes, yes, know, as well, who yeah. was such a sweetheart. I mean, just a quick story about yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, like he. Um, you know, I got for this final scene were these um, kind of um, big, muscular, um, pumped-up porn stars are like doing a coke deal. They're getting having some coke delivered to them, and um, it, you know, um, uh, so we got Francesco de Macho, who was huge at the time. Uh, that's Francois Sagat's um, ex-boyfriend, okay. and Eric Rhodes and. Matthew, uh, Matthew Rush. Rush and Kevin Killian. Uh, Adam Killian. Adam Killian. Yeah. That's right. um, and so they were, you know, we had one day to shoot that whole orgy scene in the, in the slaughter scene where they all get slaughtered uh, with guns. And, and um, but the, they, they, none of them thought that they were actually going to have to do a, um, sex, like have actual sex, because they thought, it was, oh, it's a Bruce Lee Bruce movie. We'll just be um, kind yeah. of like, um, you know, either acting or simulating sex or something. And none of them wanted to do it, mostly because they all had um, agents who... Um, or, bo or boyfriends. I think one of them said, I can't do this. I told my boyfriend I was going to do it. Right. Yeah, cut to 10 minutes later. Yeah. <laughs> they were moaning. No, but it was Eric. It was Eric was who it? actually okay. talked them all into it. Yeah, so I was I was so grateful to him for doing that. Cool. Uh, and he was just, you know, he was like a gentle judge. Yeah, right? he was. He was really, really nice. I think um, it's fresh in my head because I just watched the... I have it up on Vimeo Private because I wanted to show uh, Jurgen. Uh, I'll send you that link just sure. to see it because it's, yeah. it's fun. It's it's crazy. It, it'll, <laughs> it'll bring back lots of memories. Yeah. Sure. There are things in there that I, I completely forgot were caught and... Oh, like the crazy lady in the donut oh, shop? Oh, yeah. She was great with her shark bite. <laughs> I, I wish I would have taken, um, I wish I would have put her, actually been able to put her in the movie, but. Yeah. She wouldn't sign a release form. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Because you wanted to. Well, and Jurgen's so ethical, you know, he, he didn't really want to, you know, exploit up this poor, crazy, this, you know, schizophrenic woman. Yeah. So yeah. I would have no, I have no, no problem. <laughs> Going back to um, No Skin Off My Ass for a second. Uh, in your book, you mentioned uh, dating a skinhead hustler who hated fags, but you were in a relationship with him? No, it started out when I met him. He was a hustler. He was my first kind of boyfriend, really. And um, I was in my mid-20s. And he, um, when I met him, he was actually quite left-wing. Left he was like uh, more like a aligned with like new wave new wave movement or something and um you know he listened to you know jonathan richmond and i don't know like um james he, his favorite band was james chance and the blacks and oh, I thought you were gonna say. yeah and um and we went together for but he was gay for pay he had a girlfriend but i was in love with him and you know it was intense, but um, we dated maybe nine months, and then a couple of years later, and then lost contact. And I ran into him a couple of years later, and he had become a neo-Nazi skinhead. And I was like, "How did that happen?" And he's, he can't be serious. And so he was, and he needed. He was kind of between apartments at that point, so I said he could come stay with me, and he stayed with me for like three or four weeks. And then I was constantly trying to. He, joke and humiliate him out of this ridiculous, you know, posture, political posture. Um, um, and one day he just beat the shit out of me right outside my building, you know. 
And so I had to kick him out, and I, I really didn't see him again after that. But um, but you know what they say, he, he, he hit me and it felt like a kiss. You know, it's like <laughs> I developed yeah. that, that experience kind of made me feel so ambivalent and, uh, about, um, you know, ideas of, um, like I said, the, the relationship historically between homosexuality and fascism, just like this idea of domination and submission and this kind of figure, um, this who wearing this uniform, like he wore the skin and sort of uniform. He was always a good dresser, you know? And, um, and just that kind of, uh, the idea that he was kind of, um, a, a somewhat brutal kind of turned into some, you know, somewhat of a brutal kind of character mm-hmm. that really turned me on. So, um, so that's kind of the genesis of all my skinhead, uh, my skinhead fetish, which persists today even in Saint Narcisse because all the monks yeah. uh, have shaved heads. When you did Super Eight and a Half, you said you were you were the stunt ass. Yes. Does that mean you got fisted? No, uh, I had a gun shoved up my ass. Oh, okay. (laughs) (laughs) How was that? The actor playing that role didn't want to do it. And so we, um, I substituted my, and I mean, the continuity was totally bad because he had a hairy ass and I had a totally smooth ass. But, uh, but I wrote it into the script because the move, that movie is about a, a, a porn filmmaker. It's about a washed up porn filmmaker who um, is exploited by this lesbian underground documentary filmmaker who's making a documentary about him. And he thinks that this is his big comeback mm. and she's just uh, using him. And um, But so I wrote it into the script where that's in a film within the film. And we explain in the movie, you know, how that, the whole, about the... The stunt ass. The ass, stunt ass. Yeah. Ass, <laughs> ass, ass double, yeah. But that's happened. Um, Jurgen, I think, had to once. Some I've it, seen stunt cocks. Yeah, <laughs> no, I think in one of Jurgen's films, he, he that he produced, the actor couldn't get it up or something, and he ended up, or they needed a close up, and they used his dick or something. <laughs> so I have two questions that are a little. Um, well, one, you just said you have a skinhead fetish. Um, are you also a? And I mean this with all due respect. Are you a masochist? Uh, yeah, I would say I'm on the submissive side of the, you know, dominant and submissive of, uh, um, equation for sure. Yeah. Also, uh, filmmaking. Do you consider like because that's kind of emotional masochist? Like you get to do something you love, but it's so grueling sometimes, right? No, but that's not something I really. You wouldn't you would. take pleasure in in a way. I mean, I see. Guerrilla filmmaking is is it is exhilarating. It's like gonzo. It's like you get the adrenaline rush and all that stuff. But it's not because I don't enjoy being chased around by police and um, kind of almost having horrible car accidents and you know getting into um, dealing with divas who you know are out of their minds and all that stuff that's you don't I, I would prefer to avoid that if I could but it's just it just, just it goes with the territory <laughs> yeah because some of the things that I was reading and some of the uh, you know um, Laszlo and some of the shit you were dealing with in the beginning and you guys are like this whatever <laughs> I just saw him recently and um, he's an interesting character oh you mean the the, C, the DP yeah Oh yeah, because you were talking. He about was at it. my premiere just. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, we shot. We shot like uh, all together. We shot, I think, six films together, six or seven. So yeah, we're we're very close. Yeah. Um, one thing I was going to mention though about in terms of the demystification is when I did start making porn for the first time in the more industry style with skin gang, skin flick, and skin gang. Um, that's when I really realized how, what a fake porn is, you know, and it never really even occurred to me before that, you know, that it is a, a, a kind of craft where how, how to make sex look real and sort of um, 
seamless and this kind of perfect sex act or something. I mean, it depends on what kind of porn you're talking Mm -hmm. about. Mm -hmm. There's some sloppy, messy porn that can be quite hot, you know? Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, for sure. But, but, um, you know, in general, the industry standard is kind of like this, you know, people, they don't generally keep in if someone has an anal leak or if, you know, some farts farts or (laughs) all that stuff. And, and in that first movie, I was literally going, because we were so short staffed, I would go in myself with a cloth and like wipe the anal leakage off somebody, you know, between uh, after we stopped the take. And, mm-hmm. and also just this idea of how you, I mean, it's kind of elementary, but how you, you know, shoot the cum shots and then the faces is, is all like acting and all that stuff. I, I never really knew or can even consider all that kind of stuff. So it was a kind of demystificatory um, process for me. And, and also that it's not very sexy to shoot porn uh, usually. And that you create an illusion that it has a kind of, a, an arc to it when quite often you, that's totally manufactured or you fix it in post. Or, mm-hmm. I mean, quite recently on a porn film I made and I won't mention which one or who, who I'm, the actor I'm talking about but he couldn't get he, he had a hard on for the, most of the scene but then at the end I wanted all the actors to come and he couldn't come and so I didn't even know this trick there, I, apparently there's like there's quite a few Fake tricks or... well one was um, so he was fucking somebody's mouth and, you know, the guy puts this fake cum in his mouth. And so then he just thrusts, thrusts, and then the, it all just you know, drips out of his yeah. mouth. Or you shoot it from the side um, with a kind of uh, pump that that pumps it out so it looks like it's coming out of the... Um, or Yeah, extreme or, close-up, they hold it. And, yeah. yeah, there's lots of different tricks. So, um, but... Yeah, so that's what I'm talking about, the demystification of it, you know. And then the industry itself, I call myself the the reluctant pornographer because I am so aware of the, that there's a lot of exploitation within the film, within the porn industry, and quite often it attracts people who already have had some kind of sexual damage in the past or, or you know, PTSD having to do with abuse or something. Not, not, you know, I don't know what percentage, but I mean, it exists. So, you know, you really try to work with people who, who know exactly what they're doing and why they're doing it. And, and you're not wrong. It's yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. 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 Speaking of exploitation, one of my other questions, uh, what does it mean to be a shameless self-promoter? And is it similar to exploitation? Well, I don't think I'm more of a shameful self-promoter than, especially these days. I mean, well, shameless. Shameless. Yeah. When, I, when I started out, I, I maybe was a bit more unique in my shameless promotion. Well, yeah, I'm, no. quoting, I'm quoting you in well, like the 90s. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I, I wouldn't call you that. Yeah. No, no, no. I thought maybe somebody else had... Um, <laughs> Which they, which they have. I mean, Dennis Cooper once said, I was careering with a Jane Mansfieldian I, latency. <laughs> so, um, but, um, you know, it's so, it's so different now. I mean, back then it was like, that was the punk world and the underground uh, art world that were kind of this avant-garde kind of world was underground. It was like, it wasn't, there was no social media, there was no internet, so it wasn't governed by corporate platforms or interests uh, or uh, monetization or any of that stuff. It was like, all do it yourself. And um, so you had to be really creative to promote yourself Mm -hmm. and to get your product out. And, And so part of it was like doing kind of what everyone does now, which is creating a persona and pumping it up and making it into a kind of spectacle and shocking people and get, you know, drawing attention to yourself. But at that time, it wasn't, fame wasn't the monster that it is now. I mean, to be famous in an underground context was cooler than to be 
you know, a, a Hollywood celebrity, you know. Now everyone just wants to be as famous as they possibly can and as rich as they possibly can. That's everyone's goal now, which I find disgusting mm -hmm. and, um, and boring. Um, but uh, at that time, it was just like, it wasn't about getting rich. It was, and it wasn't about being like famous in the, that kind of phony celebrity Hollywood way. It was like just in a, being more notorious in the underground or something, you know. So it was a little more pure and a little less like completely ego driven. And, um, yeah. So, uh, so yeah, back then being a self shameless self promoter meant something a bit different. Now, pretty much everyone's a shameless yeah. self promoter. Uh, you mentioned queer core before where is queer core now? Well, you know, um, uh, there's a documentary that just came out called queer core queer core how to punk a revolution that i'm in as an interviewee it you know it still exists I, I, i'm not really uh, the punk scenes and uh circuit or whatever still exists but um i haven't been really involved in it like directly uh, for a long time um i still consider my my work to have a punk ethos and a, or a punk strategy uh, that I use punk strategies. Um, and by the way, I think Trump, you know, was kind of a punk. He used kind of punk strategies because, um, you know, he knew how to yeah. use political incorrectness and, and kind of how to, I mean, I used to say in the nineties, I used to say, I, I try to contradict myself at least once a day, you know, and he took that like you know, to the <laughs> hundred. He contradicts himself once every yeah. two I, minutes. I, I never know. thought about that. <laughs> um, or, or you know, to um, for anyway, me, anyway. For me he was lo as lovable as you are. <laughs> he would have been a different person, you know. Well, actually, a Russian, the Russian equivalent of the Wall Street Journal, um, about three or four years ago, called me the Trump of of. The gay underground or something. Really? Yeah. How'd you like that? I thought it was funny. Yeah. <laughs> um, there's a lot of nostalgia about it now because it was a really cool scene and there was a really cool band and, and everything. Um, people kind of, I think, tend to forget that there was a lot of also melodrama and crazy feuds and all kinds of stuff uh, happening as well. And and um, But yeah, I, I, I look at it fondly but it's it's not something that I, uh, I I'm just I try to move on and, and like I said I, I maintain the punk ethos but it's not like a scene that I'm involved in directly mm -hmm. with that you have uh, new generations or generations of filmmakers now that are influenced by you how does that how does that make you feel well you know the most gratifying thing is on Instagram or wherever or even pe running into people on the street you know I can't tell you how many people tell me, you know, um, that my films from the nineties gave them permission to be gay or queer, you know, or gave them permission to make, get, do porn for the first or to make porn mm -hmm. or gave them permission to, um, you know, be a nonconformist, um, gay or, you know, um, they, they lost their virginity watching one of my movies or they, they, broke up with their first boyfriend because he didn't like my movies or, you know, whatever. People tell me that all the time. <laughs> they take, they used to take their boyfriend or girlfriend to my movies as a test. And if they didn't like, if they flunked the test, then they would dump them, you know? So, um, yeah, but, but <laughs> you definitely, you blew some minds. I, I brought three friends with me and, uh, Annie's boyfriend, you blew his mind, and I was like, oh, this is nothing. Like, you haven't even seen anything yet. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, so, I mean, um, yeah, uh, it's, uh, it is what it is. <laughs> I'd like to ask you about uh, a word, you said queer, just recently. Mm -hmm. um, interesting relationship with the word? Would you say? Because it's, it's huge now. Yeah. Well, I think people just got tired of the 
alphabet soup of you know LGBT plus forever you know and um, um, queer is just like a short form in a way for that but uh, yeah I mean I've gone so many through so many um, eras of when it was cool to use the word when it wasn't when it meant something more mainstream when it meant something more underground when it you know when it meant something uh, more old school, a new school. I mean, mm-hmm. so now I think it's one of those words that's kind of almost played out, but it's beyond that. I mean, uh, for me, I mean, I'm just I think we're post gay now. I think we're really in a post gay era, as you know. Certain nurses isn't really about gay characters mm-hmm. at all, except I mean, uh, even the lesbian characters are, um, you know, uh, have had relationships with men or do have relationships with men and the gay characters have relationships with women. And I mean, one of the funny things is I'm making a porn next month for, for Erica Lust, a feature porn film. And, um, it's kind of, um, bisexual and cause Erica Lust is a Barcelona based feminist ethical porn company, uh, that's more on the straight side. And, um, you know, it's, uh, it always porn was always about um, straight guys who were gay for pay. Mm-hmm. So, so there was tons of straight guys doing gay porn because, and they would, as you, we all know, and they would usually bottom so they wouldn't have to worry about getting it <laughs> yeah. getting it up yeah, yeah. right. So, <laughs> and um, mind blowing. Yeah, I know, but it was super common. I think it was even more common in the night in the 80s and 90s maybe oh really oh right I've, I've yeah. absolutely seen and they they go and do straight porn after that yeah I mean Jeff Stryker was the biggest kind of most famous example I'm but. thinking of Peter North for instance <laughs> wasn't he like a big mm. old bottom and then eventually like he was huge in the 90s and uh, straight porn I grew up on that so yeah <laughs> you know? but now uh, the last few films I've made for Lust um, I'm it's and I've run into quite a few gay guys who are almost straight for pay. They're doing uh, scenes with girls mm-hmm. uh, or trans trans girls, yeah, or girls um, in general. Um, but they're primarily gay in a, in their identification. But they're having sex with for, with women in porn, which is kind of a nice, uh, interesting reversal and kind of a sign of the times. Yeah. Uh, I see a lot of bi porn as well, and I see a lot of models that I've worked with in Vegas, especially working with um, Biphoria and a whole bunch of other studios. Um, and I run into gay, you know, gays from a young, much like whatever you call them, Gen, Gen Z and Gen Z minus or whatever they're called. Yeah. yeah. Who say, oh, I'm, I don't identify as gay anymore, you know. I'm bi or I'm poly or um, so, I mean, it's, it really is a new, a completely new landscape. Mm. With that new landscape, uh, does Bruce or Bruce have to watch his mouth ever? Oh yeah. I mean, I was, um, I'm not so afraid of being canceled because I'm not canceling is usually, you have to be, you know, uh, you have to be super, really quite famous and kind of rich before anyone will bother to cancel you, you know. Um, and I've canceled myself so many times that, uh, so it's not that, but you still, um, you know, about, I guess about maybe three or four years ago, I guess with the Me Too movement starting and everything, um, there, there was a, this feeling that you had to watch every word that came out of your mouth, you know, and I know a lot of people feel that even not only online, but in, you know, in, in social context. You had to watch what you said 20 years ago at a point. I did. Did we? That I've seen people get canceled for, tweets 10 years ago and oh oh now you have to yeah yeah, yeah. Oh, for sure for sure oh no absolutely it's it, like what, something you tweeted when you were like if you're 23 now like it wasn't the editor of teen vogue i think was like fired because she tweeted something in high school that was anti 
construed, construed as anti-Asian or something. But Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. But um, so when that all started happening, I was I did feel like I was being, I was either being quite careful about what I tweeted or I wasn't, or and I wasn't tweeting nearly as much. But I've kind of gotten over that now. I'm, I mean, um, everyone has knows that uh, you don't say everything that comes into your head. I mean, you filter you filter yourself all <laughs> yeah. the time in your own head, you know, and um, and so you just have to be smart about it and know when you can joke about things. Uh, and the trick is. And this is, it's all about comedy because I'm a bit of a, you know, comedian as well. And um, it's all about knowing how to, how to frame the joke and, and how to make it land properly. And, Mm -hmm. you know, so it's a skill to do it, you know, but you can get, I think you're starting to get, be able to get away with things again more. I follow you on Instagram uh, and you write a lot in the book about um, stars that you grew up um, admiring. And you have mentioned a couple like Tom Hardy, I think, or I think you just wished him a happy birthday and stuff, but who, no, I don't really wish people a happy birthday to wish them happy birthday. I po I post shirtless photos oh, of okay. <laughs> to get more hits and likes. No, I'm kind of like the Kenneth. I try to be like the new Kenneth anger, just like exploiting Hollywood, you know, uh, almost using it as porn or, you know, like I, I only post shirtless. Pics I, I of, didn't. Okay. Of, 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 I'll take note of almost that. always. Yeah. So Tom Hardy, I like, but he's not like one of my, he's not like my favorite actor. Yeah. Okay. And my, my gen, you know, um, my frames of reference are all more like seventies and eighties, uh, in terms of the ones that, and then, and also classical Hollywood. I mean, mm-hmm. I'm a huge, cinephile and, and European cinema and, uh, from the seventies and, and sixties. So, um, yeah, that's, that's I, I just got into your chapter on, uh, did you call yourself, uh, Judy or Bruce Garland? I think you, or Judy, Judy LaBruce. Yeah. Just got into that. Um, and I have a lot of like the movie with Renee Zellweger and stuff. I have that. I refuse. Yeah, no, it. it's not good. Okay. No, I refuse no? to watch it. Oh, okay. Just as I refuse to watch the remake of The Boys in the Band. Like, I'm, to me, those Judy Garland, Boys in the, original Boys in the Band, it's, they're like sacred things that I don't want to see modern trivializations of them. What about the documentary? You said, uh, you mentioned there was a documentary of the show that Judy got her last show. Is that something worth watching to no I, I think what I was talking about is she, her last her husband, film right? oh. no, the last film she appeared in is called I Could Go On Singing and um, she pretty much plays a, a character based on herself uh, with, it's with Dirk Bogard who's you know one of the great uh, gay icons of of cinema in the last 50, you know 70 years and um yeah, it's just a great movie. I mean, you know, that's an old school thing, but that's complicated too because um, uh, my friend Glenn Belverio, he used to have a show called Glenda and Friends on Manhattan Basic Cable, but it was kind of a cult show. And that's the only time I've ever done drag was for his show. And I would dress up kind of like Judy Garland or Liza Minnelli on a bad day, you know, or like the day before she died on a toilet or whatever. Because Judy Garland died on the toilet. But, um, so, you know, but even back in the 90s, we were, we, we were, we did this thing called the post-queer tour of, um, of New York. And we were, everything was about queer nation and, you know, progressive activism and everything. And we were trying to bring back old school gay, like pre-liberation gay, even in the 90s. Um, or we um, we did a show where we dressed in drag and went to this uh, organization that was doing uh, conversion, gay conversion therapy, and we went in drag and asked them to help us convert <laughs> to, to heterosexuality. Wow. Um, <laughs> so, um, yeah, it's uh, old school stuff. I, 
for me, there's kind of a very sincere attachment to it, like classic Hollywood, Sunset Boulevard, Glory Sons and all that kind of stuff. Um, uh, Hustler White is partly a remake of Sunset Boulevard. So it's a genuine attachment, but I also have that Kenneth Anger thing where he likes to, to dig into all the dirt and the, and the tragedy and the dirty underbelly of Hollywood and how, and all the you know, really scandals happened. Yeah. and what really happened. Like the Scotty Bowers documentary where it's about a hustler um, who pimped out for a lot of the great classical. Oh, wow. That was a great movie. Yeah. But he was a straight guy though, right? He was living. No, with... he was bi. Okay. Yeah. Cause he was totally bi. At the, well, not at the end, I think. No, he was, I mean, when the documentary, he just died but, uh, oh. after that, but uh, in his 90s. Yeah, he, he ended up with a woman, but I mean... He, he had like a black book, though, right? Or something? Like, that's how... Oh, beyond that, I mean, yeah. he uh, worked at the service station, and he rented three kind of um, um, camper kind of trailers, and he would have the Hollywood stars who would come into get Philip with gas, he would like have them, there'd be a hustler waiting in one of these, um, yeah, one of these uh, trailers and, uh, it's you know, everyone from Rock Hudson, Spencer Tracy, uh, you know, um, um, George, uh, what's his name? Um, uh, George Cooker, like directors, famous directors and whatnot. So anyway, yeah, I mean, so I, um, I'm i really into the movies on a pure kind of cinephile level and on an emotional level, but also I'm, I like the dirt as well. And that's what kind of the old school gay sensibility is all about. And then when I mixed that with punk, then it was a complete contradiction, you know, yeah. um, which was sort of one of the earmarks of my work. I feel like I can ask you this. <clears throat> and you may have an answer. Uh, the world gets more and more commercially claustrophobic. What do you do? Well, by commercially claustrophobic, do you mean like corporatized or well, a little bit of all of it? Like it's almost like you can't go anywhere without seeing a Marvel movie. You can't go anywhere without being just. Oh, I think bombarded. it's a disaster. I think it's a total disaster. Yeah. But where do you turn? Where do you? Um, because I think entertainment and film now is just uh, is just um, a narcotic, and it, there's way too much of it, and it's there's way too much product. There's more people now, I think, working in the entertainment industry than not working in the entertainment industry. I mean, it's it's everywhere, and it's just churning out all this product. And fame is, as Warhol predicted, just kind of like cheap like anyone can become famous and um or go viral and and um so um and the pressure now for as a filmmaker for me as an independent filmmaker is to do do television or like to do something for to try to get something made on you know whatever platform hulu or um or uh, hbo or whatever and uh, netflix and, um, you know, I don't even think it's, those are directors' mediums a lot of the time. Mm -hmm. They're like uh, writers and showrunners. And uh, I think a lot of filmmakers get sucked into it and then they stop making kind of their own sort of personal art or cinema. Um, I'm, I'm still more attuned to the model of European art house cinema and making movies, you know. Which is why it was so amazing to be able to show my film at the quad, you know, in front of an audience. And, um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, you know, I'm more about, I, I'm even, um, I would even consider making more experimental and formalist movies again, because I think that's kind of disappearing, the avant-garde, the great tradition of the avant-garde. But I've always made my films in the tradition of avant the gay avant-garde. Mm -hmm. So John Waters and... Um, you know, Kenneth Anger and um, the great art porn directors, Wakefield Poole and Peter DeRome and, um, you know, Peter Berlin and Fred Halstead. And, um, but also, um, you know, the Cucho brothers or Kurt McDowell or, uh, 
you know, going way, way back, right back to Genet and and um, and then Fassbinder, and you know, so um, that's the tradition that I think is kind of getting lost. And um, but I'm trying to figure out a way to keep doing it. <laughs> Jesus, all right, I took up a lot of your time. Uh, I absolutely appreciate it. Um, for everybody listening, uh, St. Narcisse, brand new film. Uh, it's going to be playing uh, in New York City. It's going to be playing it's at, the, at the Quad Cinema exclusively. Well, it is now, but okay. it, it, by the time this podcast, uh, it, it'll be gone. But it is, it'll be playing at other cities okay. in uh, in the States. Website? Uh, uh, my website? Well, they would just Google St. Oh, Narcisse. It, and, I mean, St. Narcisse, it's um, just... In the U.S., it's distributed by Film Movement. So if you just go to the Film Movement website, you can... Uh, or my international sales agent is Best Friends Forever. And uh, it's still playing at festivals around the world. And oh, my God. Uh, Bruce LaBruce, <laughs> photographer, director, writer, pornographer. <laughs> Bruce LaBruce, I absolutely appreciate bon you being Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I absolutely appreciate you doing this. Um, my name is I.K. Grande. Uh, you've been listening to Demystifying Gay Porn. It's available on Spotify and YouTube, wherever you can get your podcasts. And um, yeah, if you watch gay porn, I've definitely helped you get off. <laughs> Thank you very much. Cheers. Thanks. <laughs>